If you go home tonight and you ask a loved one, mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, niece, partner, husband, wife, ask them what you're great at. They may say, you've got eyes in the back of your head. Mm. Whatever they say, take as the first indication and the clue. By searching for our spikes, we redefine our careers. The minute we get to a situation where every day we're, f- we're only doing the things we're brilliant at, our world changes. Hi, I'm Rene Carroll. Welcome to the Lead or Be Led podcast, the show that empowers the younger generation to be the leaders of making the world a better place. Okay, first of all, Renee, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Can I just say, first of all, you are a busy man because I was starting to think that maybe you didn't want to see me because I've, what, four or five times now been canned this year? Ebony, it's a pleasure to be here, but you know what they say, if you want to get something done, give it to someone who's busy. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I finally managed to tie you down. I want to pick your wisdom today. Basically, I'm writing a book, as I've maybe told you before, about successful people, their journeys, and some of the key things that got them there. So one, you're an interesting person yourself. Mm -hmm. And two, I want to talk about this new book that you've written, because I think it kind of lines up a lot about maybe some philosophies and way we can think about going forward. Fabulous. So I'm going to run down with some of the things that I've Please, got down, yes. who you are, and then we'll get stuck in. So business and leadership speaker, uh, you're an author of three books, and we're going to talk about Spike today. Um, you've had an interesting business career. You started off at Marks and Spencer's in senior mm-hmm. leadership positions, then headhunted by Pepsi, mm-hmm. uh, became managing director of IPC Electric, which uh, was acquired, wasn't it, by yes, so AOL? It was part of IPC Media. So IPC Media, was we did a management buyout. Mm-hmm. We like to say still the largest management buyout in the history of Europe. Wow. We had to raise £860 million. After three and a half years, we sold out to Time Warner. Wow. For £1.1 billion. So that, that was instrumental. Being part of an organization that knew its worth, mm. being part of the team that could do a management buyout, and then the successful transaction and, and not wanting to stay on, wanting to go and do something mm. different. And that, that's a fascinating start to any career. I was lucky enough to spend 10 years at Marks & Spencer in its halcyon days, obviously. Mm. But they taught me everything about management and nothing about leadership. Then I was lucky enough to go and work for the Americans, Pepsi, the ultimate challenger brand, who taught me everything about leadership and nothing about management. (laughs) So I like to think by putting those two things together, it's given me an interesting perspective on the world. And I've been lucky enough since year 2000 to be booked, to to get assignments where I'm working with the top of the organization, the chief executive, who have realized the organization needs to transform itself if Mm. it's going to thrive. Mm. If I fast forward to today in 2017, there is not a business organization, private sector, public sector, third sector that we're working with that isn't going through some ongoing transformation. Mm. Transformation is no longer an option. Mm. It's everybody's transforming themselves and will continue to transform themselves. Mm. Standing still is simply death. And and this is what this podcast, I think, is about, is kind of finding out what your edge is, how to get ahead, make those next steps to stay ahead of the game. And um, I'm always interested in the person, first of all. So a couple of things we haven't added on, by the way, is that, of course, you've had a a lot of broadcast experience and you've done presenting on live TV. You're very much engaged in the media. You've got that MBE. Mm -hmm. You've got that Mm -hmm. MBE. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. So, you know, my parents came here in the early 60s. Mm. I was born in Gambia and they came to London in the early 60s. London was a very different place then. My father was a diplomat. But he had the dream that they were going to leave their middle-class lives in Gambia, come over to 
London for one reason and one reason only, education. Mm. We had primary education, a smattering of secondary education. We had no tertiary education in Gambia. And Gambia was still a British colony at the time. Mm. So my father's dream was, and he was a real Anglophile, was come over to London, spend a good few years, get the kids educated, and let's go back and live happily ever after. Mm. Not realising that arriving in London, he was instantly impoverished. (laughs) This was and still is the most expensive city in the world. And at the time, instead of having that wonderful semi in the suburbs of Mm. London, we're in the roughest part of London, in not the best housing, with not the best access to the best education. But, you know, sometimes out of, out of adversity, that gives you the strength, that gives you the drive, that gives you the ambition. And I was lucky enough that maybe because of that, maybe because my parents sacrificed, mm. that I was self-fueled. I'm going to be someone no matter what. How early can you think of that feeling for you? Like, Is that something you look back and you say, look, teenage years, I felt that? You know, it's, it's an interesting question, Ebony, because um, in the early days, I was the mouse that sat at the back of the class, low self-esteem, low self-confidence, low self-worth. Wow. And I really, I did, it took me a long time to realise that I'm putting that condition on myself. Mm. The only person to get me out of it is me. The, and you know what they, they've always said, and, and I found this to be a truism, you reflect the expectations of your teachers. If your teachers think you're going to be a failure, do you know what? If your teachers think there's something about you, do you know what? And I remember sitting at the back of the class until that teacher mm. thought I could achieve. The world changed from there. But I didn't believe it. It took me a lot longer. And the bit that I'll never forget, and I wouldn't want any of your listeners to forget, I've yet to see anyone achieve their full leadership potential without the intervention of a mentor. Wow. It just doesn't happen. And for me, there was a time when I didn't quite believe in myself when it took someone else to believe in me. And that person, and you know, growing up when I did, where when I did in the UK, the received wisdom was, Rene, you're black, you're male from the inner city. The perfect mentor for you needs to be black, male from the inner city. Nice theory. There were no senior black executives to me at that time in my career. At Marks and Spencer, me and my best mate, Ray, who was also black, we were the two most senior black executives in the UK. And that's, it's startling Mm. to think about that now. The people that came into my life that gave me that boost, that confidence, taught me how to navigate situations, the rules of engagement, to believe in myself, were diametrically opposed to where I came from. Mm. And the one that made the biggest difference to me was Jewish Gay, wealthy, Oxbridge. You could not have found and supported Arsenal as opposed to Bloody Chelsea. (laughs) And if we think that our mentor is going to support Chelsea, live on the same road, but no, Mm. in actual fact, the strength is, the power is, learn from someone who's not like you. That's so powerful. So this morning, actually, I'm saying this because on my WhatsApp group with the friends that kind of support each other on our journey and someone put in there, has anybody had any coaching? And um, I haven't replied yet, but one of the things I want to say is actually, maybe I haven't had any official coaching, but mentors have been really powerful. And it's it's good to hear because sometimes I think we see the person who's achieved success or they've gone on and done great things, but you don't find out about the, the people along their journey who've given them that kick. We're trying to create a nation of givers. Mm. You know, um, where I was born in Gambia, we had a saying that really shaped the culture of the nation. 
It's one of the poorest countries in Africa. We've never had famine. Because we were taught from the first day, if we have, our neighbours have. Mm. And that creates a different sort of environment. We now live in a world, even in London, which is different to the rest of the UK, but we live in a world that, no, it's my home is my castle. And many of us don't even know our neighbours. We've never even had the conversation with our neighbours. I wonder if this is time to build a better Britain that we might feel more comfortable opening each other's doors, open our hearts to each other and sharing with each other. I just happen to think that's the more we know about each other, mm. we build a different social fabric, we build a different social foundation, we get rid of the mystique of each other and we embrace each other better and we build a better Britain. Mm. And I would say that mentoring is why wouldn't you? Mm. And I remember my first ever mentor, Joe, saying to me that um, here are the rules of engagement for the mentoring. I'd asked him to be my mentor and he just said... Um, the only reason we're going to continue meeting is because both of us are getting something out of it. Prophetic and prescient words. Every mentee I have today, I learn from. Mm. Especially if there's a generational gap. They live in a world that's different to me. Every conversation is an education. Every conversation is an opportunity to become more aware. And when I'm coaching my chief executives, I'll ask them, when's the last time you've spoken to an under 25-year-old? When's the last time you've had an under 25-year-old in your management meetings? Management is not leadership. Management is the science. Leadership is the art. It's through management that we teach that you climb to the top. But leadership is an art. Mm. Everyone can be a leader if they choose to be. And most of the leaders whoa, in the whoa, organization... Whoa, stop that. Everyone can be a leader if they choose to be. Yes. I'm not sure I believe that. Well, let me explain it to you. It's an attitude. Mm. It's a mindset. It's not a set of skills. As we sit here today, there is no university on the planet that teaches leadership. Why? Because you can't teach it. So people ask me the question. The perennial question, are leaders born or are leaders made? Mm. Answer, neither. Leaders are found. It's within all of us. Every single one of us. There's no magic to it. It's an attitude. And if I say to you that you've got mission critical approaching, you know it can't fail. It's got to succeed. Close your eyes and think of that person on your team that you're going to get involved in it. You know they're going to bring it home. You won't think rank. You won't think job title. No, you won't you'll think the right person. And I'll tell you who you're thinking of. Mm. The person who can influence and persuade without authority. That's your leader. Mm. Now, you tell me that's learned. Mm. It's not. The, the organisation with the most leaders wins. And today I would say that's Google. Mm. Why they nurture it. They look for it. They coach it. They bring it out. They mentor it. They do everything to bring out the leader in all of us. Mm. Everyone's got the leadership germ inside of them. It's not an exclusive club. Mm. The challenge is we're all as unique as our fingerprints. Unlocking it is the key. And every one of us is different. Mm. Management hasn't changed since 1899. I was in management 101. I lecture, a visiting professor at Cass Business School, lecture on MSc in management. 450 students, all marching in line, one size fits all. Mm. Leadership, every one of those will do it differently and that's okay. The Four Seasons Beverly Wilshire Hotel in L.A., mm -hmm. where they filmed Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, one of my favourite movies. Voted best hotel in the world four years on the trot. They have three doormen that run the eight-hour shifts, 24-hour shifts every day. Ben Trodd, the general manager, is a good mate of mine. We work with him. Mm -hmm. Every week, Ben Trodd has a management meeting, invites the three doormen. Why? Three doormen. 
They're not management. They're not senior in the organization. No. But they have 250 customer interactions every day. And they will get more of a feel of everything. They'll have more to say. They've got it. But here's the, here's the real cleverness of Ben. He invites them so they have a voice. If they're listened to, guess how they feel? More empowered. Part of something special. Mm. If you act on what they give you, guess how they feel? Yeah, a million times. He's made them leaders. Mm. They feel they have a voice. They're recognised. And what I would say to you, good leaders create followers, great leaders create leaders. Mm. The role of the leader is to create more leaders. A candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. Why wouldn't we? Mm. That's really powerful. Okay, so I want to dig more into leadership, and I want to talk a lot about this book. And I think the reason why I'm interested in this book, as you know, as we spoke at the dinner a bit, is, um, and I'll say a lot of people who've been listening to the podcast, same sort of age of me as you've kind of started your career, you've got into your career, and then you're trying to find that edge or the thing that makes you. And I think self-awareness is massive in that process. And I think what your book and the philosophy around Spike is, is... Everybody is great at something. Not just good, great at something. Absolute superpower. Everyone has a superpower inside of them. But unfortunately, Western developed societies, we take that away from you, mm. from all of us. We make all of us focus on the things we're not so good at. Johnny goes to school for the first time at the age of four years old. It's coming up to the first parent-teacher's evening. Two really excited parents coming up for the first time. Teacher says to them, Johnny's not so good at spelling. We're going to give Johnny four extra spelling classes. Mm. What if they said Johnny's fantastic at arithmetic? We're going to give him four extra arithmetic classes. Mm. We've turned the world on its head. It's that simple, that straightforward. And I've yet to work with anyone who doesn't have a standout strength. No matter who they are, there's a little bit of a journey of discovery and helping, mm. holding the mirror to them to help them find out what that strength is. We... From the day one, we're told what our strength should be. And we're also encouraged to work on our weaknesses. Mm. I think we turn the, rain, the world around fundamentally by getting us to work less on our weaknesses, but focus on our strengths. And secondarily, instead of trying to hone a weakness that is never going to be perfect, medium, or even adequate, look for that strength in someone who works with you. And complement it. Complement it the way sports teams have been doing from year dot. Mm. Someone plays in goal for a very good reason, they're not centre forward. But they need to have a complementary team around them. Mm. And like your good self, every time you've played, you're part of a team. No matter how good you are, mm. you've got to complement that team. And you may be one team's poison, another team's complete asset. And we believe we can fundamentally change the world for the better. Mm. I've yet to meet anyone without a strength. Mm. And I think... Instead of so, who needs to know that strength? So, is that the individual needs to know, or is that the leader? You. It starts with you, then everyone who touches you. Mm. But where we grew up in a world where we're taught, mm, don't boast. In what we hear is, don't be proud of the things you're brilliant at. Mm. And you know, if you say to on my very first day at Pepsi, the chief executive walks in, Larry says, "Hey, Renee, what are you great at?" I'm British. I couldn't possibly <laughs> We're taught not to mm. respond to that. Mm. We're taught not to be proud of what we're brilliant at. We're taught to be shy and retiring. We're taught, that, um, um, I, I really don't have any strengths, actually. No, let's break out of that straitjacket. Mm. 
Let's create an environment where everyone's proud to talk about the things they're really good at without feeling as though we're boasting, we're beating our chest. Let's just be a little bit more honest. Mm. Let's catch people doing things right as opposed to catch people doing things wrong. Okay, so talk to me about the process of finding it. I started reading the book and there was an analogy in there about getting a white ball, writing words on it and find, talk, talk to me about how you find it and a little bit about that analogy as well. So I'll tell you where it all comes from. Quite a good few years ago, um, the BBC were doing a series called Mind of a Millionaire mm. and they asked me to be the expert witness and I had to work with a bunch of psych- business psychologists to work out entrepreneurs born or made. Mm. This is where the first idea came from, where it first came to me. And in order to make it work, we had to find a crude definition for entrepreneur. What we used was self-made millionaire. We took a population of 66 million people and we found 70,000 self-made millionaires in the UK. It's a pinprick. Mm. I'll say it again so we don't lose it. 70,000 self-made millionaires. Then the BBC did a survey of those 70,000. The first aha moment. 49% were dyslexic. Wow. 49%. 49% of our self-made millionaires in the UK are dyslexic. I know Richard Branson's... Second important fact. 59% came from deprived or dysfunctional backgrounds. Wow. So take those two bits of striking information. Mm. What we did on the series was we took... The first exercise was take 20 people. 10 were self-made millionaires and 10 were off the streets. Could me and these business psychologists pick out the 10? Dr. Adrian Atkinson, who is an absolute genius in this area, me and him, we arrived up at this stately home in Warwickshire. We're going to spend a few weeks with them doing loads of tests to see where they are. And he said to me, before we get into those tests, let me just walk up and down and watch these people at breakfast. I'll choose you the 10. I said, shut up, Adrian. What are you talking about? We walked up and down. He chose nine out of 10. Wow. What he said his research had taught him is that the years 7 to 11 were the most important years for shaping your personality going forward. If you've, ch- if you've faced major rejection within that time, that drives this risk-taking quotient. Okay, so entrepreneurs, dyslexia at the time, mm. you were thrown at the back of the class. You can't learn, you've got learning impediments, all that ostracization. And sitting at the back of the class, you're going to prove it to someone, you're going to prove it to someone, you're going to prove it to someone. Mm. So on the set, I met David Gold for the first time, who's now the chairman mm. of West Ham. Fantastic man. David came from abject poverty. At the age of 14, David left school. I remember interviewing David, and I asked David this very simple question. David, tomorrow you can have dinner with three people from history. Which people would you choose? He said, Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, and Mrs. Green. I said, well, I think I get Julius Caesar. (laughs) Who's this Mrs. Green? And he said, on my last day of school, when I was leaving at the age of 14, Mrs. Green, my form teacher, said to me, gold, you will achieve nothing in your life. Oh, wow. David is now worth £350 million. He spent the intervening 60 years with one thing in his mind. He's going to prove to Mrs. Green, I can. And interesting you say that, because a lot of the themes of people I've interviewed have talked about, um, you know, different types of rejections and having to find that as a fuel to drive. Only thing I'd then ask is, we live in quite a comfy society in the sense that, let's say you're born middle class and you've got a lot of things. How do you get that edge or that, can you create those conditions to get that edge? Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) There are no barriers. It's mindset. Mm. If your parents are not privileged, then the environment itself can create it. 
But you can create drive yourself. Mentors. Step number one, get yourself a mentor. Mm. Someone who's going to hold a mirror up to you. Someone who's going to cut that complacency out of you. Someone who's going to look deep inside of you and trigger those mechanisms that make you want to fight, make you want to learn. Look around the people you're hanging around with. Mm. If everyone's comfortable, laid back, and guess what you're going to be? Hang around the hungry people. Hang Mm. around the winners. Hang around those people who necessary impatience who are constantly dissatisfied guess what happens to you you get that edge you are your friends that's interesting okay so tell me about finding the spikes then so one i'm going to ask you your spikes and how mm. you discovered them mm. and then two how does so you know and i'm now we talked about moving out the you know doing the cricket world but looking wider at the long term it's not everything that you're capable at that leads you to your strengths first rule just because i can do it doesn't mean it's my spike I want you to connect in deep into your, what thrills you, mm. what gives you that desire for success. The things that you tend to enjoy, the things you tend to be really good at, the things you tend to be really good at are the things you tend to really enjoy. So imagine waking up every day only doing the things you're brilliant at. First thing you'll notice, time flies. Mm. When you're doing something, you know this, you're batting and you're 180 not out. Do you keep looking at your watch? When's it going to end? No. no. You could bat all day long. Do you, you know, Jose Mourinho at football says, when the team's winning, no one gets injured. It's true, because you're in that zone. Everybody yeah. wants to play. Imagine if you could be in that zone every single day. Just imagine. Think, think a little broader. That Every day I'm waking up to only do the things I'm outstanding at. Not good at, not proficient at, not okay at absolutely outrageously brilliant at and my colleagues in my team guess what they're doing things they're outrageously brilliant guess what that does for the team everybody gets a lift because they're in their their zone and then everything the others said couldn't be done all of a sudden starts to get done Mm. so i would challenge everyone to say pause for a moment we are the worst judges of what our spikes are Our social conditioning, our employment conditioning, our educational conditioning leads us to things we're proficient at, that we've learned, that we've invested in. Let's start in a different place. Dyslexia is a great place. Mm. Everything they said you couldn't do, that they said David Gold couldn't do, he can do in a different way. Mm. That's really interesting. Everyone with dyslexia has a gift. Mm. It may not be seeing numbers in the right running order. It may not be able to be the fastest reader, but you've got other gifts. Mm. They've lent themselves to entrepreneurialism. Tim Martin, chairman of J.D. Weatherspoon, a Kiwi, another interviewee. So why do you call the pub chain J.D. Weatherspoon? He was the principal of my college when my last day of college, he said, Martin, you'll achieve nothing in your life. (laughs) I called it J.D. Weatherspoon. We all need something we want to be great for, and then that leads us to our spike. If you go home tonight and you ask a loved one, mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, niece, partner, husband, wife, niece, nephew, ask them what you're great at, what you're really outstanding at. They won't use management speak. They won't have the competitive edge of, a, of someone at work who's only focused on making the business better. They may say, you've got eyes in the back of your head. Mm. Pause and think about it. They may say, you're always there for me. You're firm but fair. Whatever they say, take as the first indication and a clue. By searching for our spikes, we redefine our careers. If any of these topics resonated with you and you'd like to explore further, 
do get in contact by emailing info at carryall.com.